grab your Bible and open up with me to Acts, the 13th chapter. Amen. Let me ask you a question as you turn it over there. How many of you enjoyed Noah's flood this morning? I thought we were gonna. I thought we were gonna get an ark down 13th Street. I'm telling you, uh, I, you know, I almost washed my car yesterday, and it, it just seems like it happens every time I spend that money to wash that car. The rain comes, and so I'm glad I didn't, because it would have been all messed up today. But uh, I enjoyed the rain and the reprieve from the heat, and uh, we still have a couple more hot days ahead of us. But uh, I was definitely thankful for it. Well, tonight let's look at Acts chapter number 13, and this is. A a big chapter. We are not going to cover every aspect verse by verse, but we're going to get the gist of it tonight. Um, really praying about this, and I'm really excited about this message. It's different. It's different than anything we've really talked about so far. Um, I've been feeling the Lord prompt me a little bit uh, tonight. There are notes in the app. I cannot, though, promise you I'm going to follow them to the T. I'm feeling a little spin of a different direction in prayer. And uh, tonight, the Lord was speaking to me in prayer. Matter of fact, a few minutes ago, and I got my Bible and just started thumbing through it. And so, he's not changing the message, but he's just spinning me in a different direction. So, uh, I know that it'll be a blessing. Acts chapter 13, let's look at it tonight. Uh, Verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 5. The New King James Version reads like this. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Maine, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then having been sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived in uh, Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their assistant. Lord, tonight I pray that you would uh, give us um, revelation knowledge as we look at your word. You would speak to our hearts and give us clarity and uh, help us uh, to hear exactly what it is you want us to hear tonight and not another thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, tonight, really interesting title. You might wonder how I get that by, by what we've read tonight. But tonight, I want to talk to you and teach from the subject, the government of God. The government of God. Now, we get to talking about the word government. It starts making people be paranoid a little bit, especially in church. So, when we talk about government, I know we automatically think of the White House and the Senate and the House of Representatives, and maybe you think about the political parties like Republican or Democrat or the Independent Party or party or anything like that. You might think of all of those different types of things, but tonight I'm not talking about that type of government. I'm not talking about the democratic system that we have here in the Republic of the United States of America. Tonight I want to talk to you about the government of God. The government of God. Can we say that again? The government of God. What is government? Government is a system of rule. 
Government is a system of rules. So when we say the government of the United States, we're talking about the system whereby things are ruled or governed. There is a system that consists of laws and certain things that work, that cause the nation to work together. And different types of governments have different types of things. You have, um, you have communist dictatorial uh, governments that are uh, ruled that way. You have democracies, you have republics, you have different types of things. Um, but tonight, I'm not talking about any of that, so you can get that out of your mind. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the government of God. God rules his kingdom. God rules his kingdom. I want you to know that though we live in America, the home of the free and the land of the brave, and I love our nation, I love it, I love it, I honor, uh, I honor our country for what it's done around the world and our joining with the nation of Israel. I'm a patriot, I salute the flag, I say the Pledge of Allegiance, but we have to be careful that we don't allow the governmental system of democracy or America to interfere and infiltrate itself into the theology of the kingdom of God because they do not work the same. So tonight, I want to take you through the scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to help you see some things that I think are awesome. See, I love the book of Acts. Why? Because the book of Acts is the blueprint for the early church. It's where we see the Holy Spirit poured out and establishing his footprint through the apostles throughout the known world at that time. They literally took the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they did so by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus established in the book of Ephesians, uh, uh, he, didn't, he established it in the book of Acts. Paul recorded it in the book of Ephesians. The Bible says, and he gave unto some to be apostles, some prophets, some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, until we all come into the unity of faith, we're formed into the image of God, until we're no longer like children, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. The Bible says that God has given us these gifts in the church to build it. I love the way one passage says it. It says that um, uh, it, we, it was built uh, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ being the cornerstone. The prophets prophesied about the Messiah's coming. The apostles came then, carried the message around the world, and Jesus was the cornerstone of that church. So what we see from Acts 2 on is the establishing of the local church. Here's what I want you to know tonight, and I want you to know this, and you're here, so obviously you feel that way, but the local church has always been God's idea. The local church is God's idea. Um, so much of the Bible is written and addressed to the local church. Um, you've got, aside from the, uh, the, um, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you have Acts, which is a historical book. Um, you've got Romans, and then First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Those books are written to those local churches. Then you have um, uh, Timothy, who was a pastor to a church that Paul wrote Timothy to, and you've got some other things there, and um, you know, dealing with First and Second Peter, but then also in John's writing in the book of Revelation, 
Revelation, the Holy Spirit in the first three chapters addresses the letters to the seven churches. So the church is his idea. But tonight, I want to take you into the early church and allow the function of the early church to kind of open your mindset to see how God desires for the Holy Spirit to lead his people. See, I'm going to make a statement tonight, and it might shock you, but here we go. It might shock you tonight to know that the kingdom of God does not run on popular vote. Now, that flies in the face of democracy. What is democracy? Democracy says if enough people go and vote on an issue, right, then that issue passes. It's legal. So if enough people in a nation want abortion, then abortion's legal. If enough people in a nation want this to be legal, then it's legal. But here's the thing, in a theocracy, in the kingdom of God, it really doesn't matter what we think or what we say. God's word, the Bible says, is forever settled in heaven, and he does not alter the covenant that comes forth out of his lips. What God said, he has spoken it, and his rule reigns. Now, I know what you're thinking, but pastor, we live in the world. We do. That's why tonight I'm showing you that the church is supposed to operate differently than the world. The church is supposed to be operated differently than the world. If you look from Genesis, from Adam, and you go forward throughout the ages, what you find is God's desire was to walk with and fellowship with his people right? Adam, before he sinned, the Bible says he came down, he walked with him in the cool of the day as a man walked with his friend. Abraham was a friend of God, talked to the Lord face to face. We see over and over again. But then what we begin to see is God began to raise up prophets through the Old Testament. Prophets in the Old Testament um, were God's mouthpiece to the people. They had no indwelling Holy Spirit. So at that time, so God spoke primarily to the priest, the prophet, and the king. And the priest was a mouthpiece to God and uh, to the people. And so they were governed and Israel was doing all good until they wanted to be like the other nations. Right? Do you remember this story? They said, oh God, give us a king like the other nations had a king. And guess what? It flies in the face of some people's theology. But the truth is, if you pressure God enough, sometimes even if it's not his will, he'll let you have it. Saul, although everything worked out because uh, we, we talk about God being in control, the overarching plan, right? God, the, the things that are prophetic in the Bible, you cannot change them. I don't care how much you pray, you can't get rid of the tribulation, it's coming. I don't care how much you pray, you, we might can delay it for years, but it's coming. God knows all of these prophetic things, but sometimes in the middle of the beginning and the end, there's this wrestling between God's sovereignty and, his, and man's free will. Both of them are not either or, it's both and. The scripture teaches both of those, and it's hard to understand, but, but by God's grace, we see through a glass darkly, we can can understand it. But what we see is that God desired to govern the people by the Holy Spirit. And so they begged for a king. They got Saul. It was miserable. Uh, it was not God's plan. And uh, he wasn't led by God and those types of things. And so what we see is, is that God always wanted to, his people to be led by his word and by his spirit. But throughout the ages, people 
have chosen to develop systems and structures and things of that nature that do not fit within the paradigm of the scripture or God's kingdom. And I I honestly believe it's why we see a lot of stagnated growth in certain areas and different things of that nature. Because what we've got to understand is that when it comes to democracy and popular vote, you've got to understand this. Democracy and, and, and vote and, and going in the same direction only works when people are seeking the heart of God. Right? When they're in one place in one accord in their prayer, that, that only works in that moment. But you've got to understand when God had desired to give Israel the promise for them to inherit the promised land, what happened? They sent out the spies into the land. Ten of them said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing this. We vote no. They're giants in the land. And only two, which is a minority, said we're well able to take this land. So what I'm trying to show you is that in life, in politics and everything, the majority is not always right. We see that time and time again. So tonight, I want to take you through this, and I want us to, to look at it. Go back to Acts chapter 13 with me, and let's, let's delve into this a little bit. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Maine, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord, and they fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, the, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they also had taken John as their assistant. Now, last week we read that in Acts chapter number 12, um, we saw where James was martyred, Peter was in prison, the angel of the Lord came and busted him out in the middle of the night, and now what we see is um, Paul finishing up at the end of uh, Acts 12, finishing up one of his missionary journeys. And now he's finding his way back to Antioch. Acts chapter 11 tells us that Saul planted the church at Antioch. So he was one of the apostles whom the Lord had called. And he established that church there in Antioch. And now he's coming back to it. See, Paul planted that church. And before he left the church, he established elders. And and there were probably deacons in place. and, And they put teachers and different things of that nature. And Paul left. And so Paul comes back to home base after he had finished his journey. Got his suitcases unpacked proverbially and, and gotten refreshed from his trip. And now he decides to go to church service. Okay, I'm taking a little bit of liberty, but I'm trying to paint the picture. Paul walks into this church service with, with Barnabas and, uh, and others. And we've got to understand that they walked into a time of worship and a time of prayer and a time of consecration. And in this atmosphere, God began to move. This is not in your notes, but if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. Glory always follows government. Glory always follows government. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Here's what the Scripture says. God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. Now, glory always follows government, God's way of doing things. You don't believe me? Let's talk about it. 
in the Old Testament, when Solomon was dedicating the temple, right? The Bible records it in the book of Chronicles. So Solomon is dedicating this temple. He gets it all ready. He gets the wood, the sacrifice, and everything had to be exactly right. It could not be out of order. It couldn't be messed up. The animals couldn't be lame or anything like that. They had to be perfect. All the sacrifice had to be one, two, three, just like it was supposed to be. And when the order was set, the fire from heaven fell. Right? Is that in the Bible? When the order was set, the fire from heaven fell, consumed the sacrifice. Because glory follows order. Okay? Now, that's not the only place. We see Elijah at the top of Mount Carmel wrestling with the prophets of Baal. Same thing. Let the God who's God answer by fire. And so he takes the sacrifice. He builds the trench. He digs it. He puts the water in. He soaks the sacrifice. He looks up to heaven and calls on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And fire falls down and consumes the sacrifice. What are we learning? Glory follows order. Government. The right way of doing things. God does not not bless mess. He doesn't bless it. You say, do we have a New Testament pattern? We sure do. One of our favorite passages. And as the, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one place in one accord. And there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And cloven tongues sat upon each of them as, like as a fire. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. When they got in the right place and the day of Pentecost had come. And they were in order and unity. The fire of God fell. Glory always follows order. Okay. Glory always follows order. That's exactly what we have happening in this passage. And I'm going to try to take it through you really fast tonight. I want you to, to uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes, this will be on the screen tonight. Here's point number one. The leadership of that church had diversity. The leadership of that church had diversity. Notice the scripture is very specific tonight. It says, now in the church, verse one that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. So there were prophets and there were teachers, right? A lot of times when we think of church, we only think of pastor and evangelist and teacher. But there's not a threefold ministry, it's a fivefold ministry. There's the, the office of the apostle and the prophet. We can argue what those are today. Apostles are those who are sent. They go and they establish missionaries. Some missionaries fit that, that case and other things. And prophets are people. Now, there's a difference between uh, uh, the ministry gift of prophet and prophesying. They're not the same thing. Any believer can prophesy according to the book of 1 Corinthians, but not everybody's called to be a prophet. It's a different gift, just like evangelists. Everybody's called to, be, to evangelize and to share their faith, but not everybody's called to the ministry gift of evangelists. Uh, everybody should be called to, or, or Scripture tells us, all of us are to give an account for the hope that we have in Christ. But that doesn't mean everybody's called to the office of teacher or pastor or whatever. You get the point. But what I want to show you is that the leadership had diversity in this church. They, not uh, an apostle had founded it. Now they had prophets and teachers in that place, and they were ministering to the Lord. Not only were these prophets and teachers there, but they had diverse backgrounds. Now, Barnabas was a Levite from Cyprus, 
Okay, so he was a different guy. Uh, Simon, who was called Niger, which by the word, the, uh, by the way, the word Niger just it means black, literally. And so he was a a black African. And you say, why do you say black African? Because all Africans are not black. Amen. Can I? You know, you know, South Africa has a lot of white people. And if you're born uh, in South Africa and you move to America, you're an African American. Doesn't matter what anybody says. Doesn't have anything to do with your color. It's where you were born and where your roots are from. So anyway, so Simeon was a uh, black uh, African, uh, possibly uh, also Simon of Cyrene who carried Jesus' cross. Um, Lucius of Cyrene was also from North Africa, so that could have been up in the the um, uh, those areas like in Egypt and up in those places. Uh, Maen was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and uh, which would be uh, Herod Antipas who killed John the Baptist and tried Jesus. Saul was from Tarsus in Sicilia, in Italy, that area, and so in Rome. And so the leadership of this church was diverse. What am I trying to tell you tonight? God's church, the leadership of God's church ought to be diverse. It ought to reflect the church. It ought to reflect the ministry gifts in the church. It ought to be diverse. So we see that right here. Here's the second thing we see. I'm going to go through these quickly. Number two, the leadership were in one accord. The leadership of the church were in one accord. Saul and Barnabas came back from their trip. They walk into this church service, and the Bible says that they had all came together to seek the Lord. Notice verse 2. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, this is so vital for us to understand this tonight. Because the Holy Spirit spoke to them and told them to separate Saul and Barnabas for the work that they were called to do. Now, I want you to not miss this. The leaders of the church were fasting and praying. Let me stay right there for a moment. The leader, I'm going to say it really slow. The leaders of the church were fasting and praying. Are you hearing me? The leaders of the church were fasting and praying. This is so important because the ministry of any local church should never be trusted to men or women who are not men or women of fasting and prayer. Now, what I'm about to say is not popular, but in 99.9% of churches in America, key positions and leaders in the church are chosen based on how long they've been in the church, how much they give, what kind of business they own, or things of that nature. The thing is, while all of that's fine and dandy, it doesn't bring glory. The only thing that brings glory is fasting and prayer. That's why when you're going to install somebody in leadership, you don't find somebody who's not doing anything. You don't find somebody who's not involved getting their hands work in ministry. You have to find somebody who has the heart of a servant. These men were fasting, and they were worshiping, and they were ministering to the Lord in an atmosphere of prayer, and then watch what happened. In the middle of this atmosphere of fasting and prayer and being in one accord, the Holy Spirit spoke. That's a novel idea, isn't it? That's what's supposed to happen. 
That's what's supposed to happen. When we get together and we minister to the Lord, right? Now, there, you do understand there are times for us to minister to each other where we teach each other or we pray for each other. But when we're fasting and we're praying and we're worshiping, that's when we're ministering to the Lord. Our attention is focused upon the Lord. And what happens is it creates an atmosphere of unity. And just like in Solomon's temple, just like on Mount Carmel, just like in the upper room, glory follows order. And as they began to do their thing, the Holy Spirit spoke from heaven. I believe that the the gifts of the Holy Spirit, number one, should be prioritized in our lives and in our ministries. But number two, they should be welcomed. But number three, they should be expected. God spoke from heaven and gave them a word. I want you to notice this. This is important. The Holy Spirit spoke to the leaders in the church about those who were to be sent out from the church and to be representatives of the church in ministry. They did not just go out on their own. It's important. Now, this blew my mind whenever I saw this. Paul started this church, right? Paul started this church. Paul, you know, had the passion to go to Antioch and to plant plant a a local Bible-believing, Jesus-following church there. But even Paul, who is this great apostle, submits himself to the leadership of, of the local church and the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what I just said? Paul submitted himself to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the local church. Because guess what? Paul, Paul could have just said, you know, well, I'm called to God. I saw Jesus on the road. I'll just go if I want to. That's not what happened. The Holy Spirit confirmed his call through the leadership of the church. And so now what happens is after they fasted and they prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. It was a beautiful thing. Here's the third thing I want to show you tonight in our passage. Number two was the leadership were in one accord. Number three, the leadership validated the call of God on others. I want you to know something. The the leadership of any local church should know who's being sent out. Amen. We believe in a God-called ministry, right? We believe in a God-called ministry. The Bible tells us we believe in a God-called ministry because we see Paul was called. We see Peter was called. We see others in the Scripture were called. The prophets of old were called. They received a call from God to do what it was that they were doing. And the leadership of this local church validated the call of God on others. Now, here's what I need you to to get. Get this principle. The leadership did not put the call of God on those people. The leadership validated the call of God. To validate simply means to recognize and to give credence to what's already there. That's why being submitted to spiritual authority is so important. 
Now, I love being a part of the assemblies of God. Let me tell you about when I was called. I was called when I was 14 years old. Many of you know that story. And um, it ran from God for several years. And then I started uh, feeling a call to, to just go back to serve God in full-time ministry. And I began to just submit myself to my pastors of the church that I was going to. I asked them, I said, help me. Help me get on the road. Help me to get where I'm going. If I'm being honest with you, um, I wanted to skip point A and jump all the way to the end. But thank God for mature people in my life who could recognize prideful branches that needed to be knocked off and pruned who said, you don't need to preach at this stage of your life. You need to sweep the bus. You need to mow the yard. You need to uh, go preach to these people over here at the detention center. And all of those things that I did not want to do that I needed to do because they the leadership recognized that I had a call on my life, but they had not yet released me to follow that call. I had to study I had to pray. I had to work some things out of my life. And then there came a season. There came a season to where I was ready to get ordained with the Assemblies of God. And the, of course, the Assemblies of God is not the only organization in the world. It's a great one. I love the AG. I'm AG for two reasons, for missions and our doctrinal statement. Uh, there's not a fundamental truth of the Assemblies of God that I do not hold to or believe in. There are pastors who flake on that. I know some of them who, who they're secretly, they don't believe in the rapture or secretly they don't believe in um, tongues as the initial evidence and they lie on their credential card, but that's not me. I believe in all of it. I believe in it. And as long as we're a revivalistic movement and we're walking towards God, I'm going to stay with it. I have no reason to leave unless the Lord tells me to. But one thing I love about the AG is that the, the assemblies of God, what they do is all they do is they, they recognize the call. When I was ready to go get credentialed and I told them, I want to I receive credentials. I want to be ordained. What they did was they took me in front of some local leaders in my area. And they asked me about my call. They asked my wife about our call. They asked if she was supportive of our call. They asked all types of questions. Listen, the AG is so, so let me tell you, they are so thorough some of you may not even know this. I had to do several national background checks and a credit check. A credit check. You say, what does a credit check have to do with anything? It has to do with a lot because if you can't manage your house, how can you manage God's house? Finds out a lot of stuff. Now, they don't hold your past against you, but they want to know current stuff. Current stuff. So, they, they, I first met with the local level, right? Then I met at the state level with other leaders. And then they gave us a, a moment where the Holy Spirit, after prayer, they had told them to, to pass us through. And then they asked us to have a pastor of our choosing come and step in as an elder for our ordination service. And my pastor at that time, still my pastor, Pastor Shane, came and, and all the way and drove across the state of Louisiana and laid hands on us. And um, basically, that's what we see right here. The Holy Spirit spoke, and these leaders laid hands on Paul, Saul, Saul, Paul, same thing, laid hands on him and Barnabas, and sent them out into the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, why is that important? I believe that in order to have spiritual authority, you have to be under spiritual authority. 
I believe that's important. I think it's very important. And so listen, you, you can know this from me tonight. I, I, I never have a guest speaker that I don't ask them, who's your pastor? Who do you answer to? Because if you're out of control, I don't want you leading my people and getting that spirit on them. Amen. It's important. It really is. But the leadership validated the call of God and released them into the blessing that they were to go and minister. Now, if you go a little bit further, look at verse, uh, I didn't read this, but this is verse number 6. It says, and so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. I want you to notice that wordage right there. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you. I would rather be sent out by the Holy Spirit than to go by myself. And that's what a lot of people do. They're not submitted to anybody's authority. They get called. They get a credential on the internet. And they pay $25 for it. And now they can marry people at the courthouse because they don't really care. And then they have a ministry that really is not hooked up, validated, doesn't have any authority behind it because they were not sent out by the Holy Spirit. They skipped all of the steps of authority and just went out on their own. But what did I say? I started the message, and I'm going to end it with this. Glory always follows order. So what happened? Later on in this chapter, they go to preaching in the synagogues, and Paul, through the discerning of spirits and through just natural observation, comes to this man named Simon the sorcerer, who is halfway in, halfway out, if you will. He sees people being filled with the Holy Spirit. He sees that when the apostles lay hands on people that power is flowing and things are happening and people are being healed. And this man says, hey, I want to buy that. As if the Holy Spirit can be bought with, a, with, with money. And Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, rebuked him. And they went on preaching the gospel in those regions. It's a powerful powerful thing. Maybe in a few weeks I'll come back and teach you the rest of about what happened at Antioch. We will cover it eventually. But Antioch is significant in church history because Peter and Paul butted heads in Antioch. They had a disagreement after the Jerusalem Council. Scripture doesn't really say what all happened, but they did have a disagreement, and, and uh, Paul said, when Peter came, I withstood him to his face. Now, they had, you know, what I call an intense fellowship. They were still brothers, but, you know, they had a disagreement about doctrine or something, and they, all that happened at Antioch. So, a lot of interesting things happened there. But tonight, what's the main takeaway? We're done. You close your Bible. What's the main takeaway tonight? When looking at the government of God, if we do things God's way, it brings God's glory. When we do things God's way, we do things God's, when we do things God's way, it comes with God's glory. When it comes to leadership in the church, when it comes to putting people in ministry in the church, we have to make sure that we've fasted, 
that we've prayed, that we've heard from the Lord, that we're not just doing it as a popularity contest or we owe this person because they gave a lot of money or, or something like that. Because when you, when you do those types of things, what happens is you create a monster that's not ordained by the Holy Spirit. And as I said a moment ago, God cannot bless mess. He's not the author of confusion. God always does things in order. And so tonight, I want you to study that and realize that God has an order to how he does things. And he desires for us to be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And close your Bible. Stand up on your feet with me.